Well, good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Um, we now come to the fourth um, message for this conference, and it would be part two uh, on the prerequisites of the believers building up in the church, the body of Christ. Brother James Lee had covered part one already earlier today, and I'm here to cover number two. Now, uh, before we get into this outline, uh, I surely have something on my heart I would like to mention first. Um, I came to this session of meeting um, quite much encouraged by the Lord uh, on two counts. Number one, that here and there on this earth, there is or there are still a small number of people in different countries, in different continents, in different age groups, of different backgrounds and races, whatever, that are loving seekers of the Lord. This is not a small thing. Their number may not be great. They may be unknown. Um, it's not even a blip on the radar, so to speak. Um, yet, just like in the story of Elijah, when he was persecuted by the king um, and ended up in this cave, and um, if it's not for the God's miraculous sustenance, he would be dead. But there, God appeared to him to encourage him. God did not come in lightning or thunder. God did not come to him in fire. God came to him in a still, small voice. If you go and read that story, and if you read the footnote there on this still small voice, it says that this still small voice is a principle of how God would speak to man in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it is fire and thunder, just like when the children of Israel was at Mount Horeb, when the law was given to them by God through Moses. And they couldn't even get close. It was a dangerous place. It's a horrible, horrifying place. God did not come to Elijah that way. God came to speak to him in a still, small voice. You know, much of the time when the Lord comes to us, that's how he would speak to us. Nothing great, nothing loud, nothing so grand, but just a small voice. But yet it is God speaking to you and I. And there... God says, you're here, 
hopeless and in despair, not just about your own life, but about this nation, this apostate, untoward, um, idolatrous nation. But I have reserved my, for myself 7,000 who has not bowed their knees to Baal, nor have they kissed the hands of those idols. That became a great encouragement to Elijah. And in the same way, I'm quite encouraged tonight. As we look across the horizon on the earth today, it is a terrible place. It is fallen. It is dark. It is filled with violence and lawlessness. It is morally decadent. In every way, this earth is, has become a place that is anti-God and permeated by the work of God's enemy with the evil spirits and the demons using the fallen man as an instrument. Yet in this sorrowful, this situation, very discouraging. And if you do not look at just the world situation, you look at the religious department of the world or the Christian department of this world, you will feel just as discouraged. Where are God's people? Where are his real lovers? Where are his true seekers? Where are those who just care for the truth? And for himself, where is the church? And according to the topic of this time, where is God's building? Where is the body of Christ? But the Lord would come to us and encourage us that he has still his own people that he reserved and preserved for himself. I don't know how many on this earth today. The earth is, the population has been growing by leaps and bounds, over 7 billion people um, inhabiting this planet. How many of the 7 billions are such? I hardly know. I do not know. But there are those. Only the Lord himself knows. But at least I can say in this conference, looking at you via scroom screens, here and there, not many of us are well-born. Not many of us are of the higher class. Not many of us are wealthy or rich. We're just the common folks, just people. And yet somehow here and there, God has gathered his people 
together to love him, to seek him, to follow him, and to take the narrow way, not the broad way, and the uh, Y gate that leads to nothing but destruction. But the narrow way, the narrow gate that leads to life. You would think no one wants to take that way, but there are those who would want to take that way and who are taking that way. You know, the Lord's recovery is a narrow way. It's a constricted way. This is not an easy way. Yet, there are those who would take that way to follow the Lord and who would care even for God's purpose, God's heart's desire. I think maybe Brother James talked to you about David the king who had the heart to build God a house. Um, which God eventually, in his arrangement, would not have David build it. David only collected the materials. It was up to his son, Solomon, who would build that house. God said, let me do something for you first. I will give you a seed. He will build. The principle here is, we should have a heart to build God's house. But it's not us who can build it. It's God building himself into us first. In grace, by mercy. That what is the outcome of that building of himself into us or his working himself into us that can build the house. Therefore, the building of God itself is not a natural thing. But even the builders of God and the building process cannot be natural. It must be something purely of God and something in resurrection. But anyway, I digress here. I come back to my encouragement. In Myanmar there, I heard there are 5,000 saints or something. Um, that is a small number in that country. Uh, you in New Zealand, I don't know how many people, 1,200, 1,500, I, I don't know. But even though it's a small country, that is still a relatively small number. But I like to tell you that it is not strictly the number that God is after. Even if we have a million people, that is just a small drop in the bucket against 7 billion people, isn't it? It's not the size per se. It's the condition of these people. 
it's the spiritual reality that these people possesses. It's whether these people really comprise the testimony of Jesus. It's whether these people gathered here and there are really living Christ and are being built up as a house for God's dwelling. And to be built up as a body for Christ expression is the reality that counts. So here we are in the small recovery of the Lord. I pray, and we all need to pray. Of course, on the one hand, that the Lord would grant us increase. We do need the increase, brothers and sisters, everywhere. We cannot stay the same and using smallness just as our convenient excuse. We do need to preach the gospel, the high gospel, the full gospel, because there are many seekers looking for what we have. On the other hand, no matter how much increase we gain, we will still be in the principle of a remnant. When the captivity, those who were captured into Babylon uh, amongst God's people, after 70 years, when Jeremiah's prophecy was to be fulfilled and God would raise up the king of Cyrus, the media Persian king, out of a sudden to issue a proclamation, a decree that these people from that land should go back to build a house for their God and their city of Jerusalem. Only a small number returned. Seventy years is at least two generations of Jews, of Israel people in Babylon. A small number went back, started with Ezra, and then with Nehemiah, and so on. A small number, hence the word remnant. Brothers and sisters, in the Lord's recovery today, we're here a remnant against a backdrop of captivity, of desolation, of degradation. God must still have a temple and a city and a land that is occupied by his own people. Before he can come, he could come the first time. And that occurred about 400 years later, after the return of the remnant. Today, similarly, there have to be a remnant on this earth. 
they would come back to the proper ground, the ground of that land, the ground of that city, Jerusalem, the city of God, the ground of that temple, the holy temple, God's habitation. And standing on that ground, they would do the work of rebuilding what has been broken down, what has been destroyed and pillaged to rebuild. And that is the principle of a recovery. To recover God's testimony on the earth. To have a dwelling place, to have a governmental center, to have a kingdom. So here we are, dear ones. Next time when we look at ourselves, even our condition is really oftentimes not that good. Not that wonderful. But here we are back in the land, back in the city, and back at the temple. The work of this this building is not finished. And if I may say so, all the signs on the earth today, geopolitically, uh, in almost in every way, it is quite clear that it is pointing to the end times. In other words, the Lord's coming is near. But it is not only the fulfillment of various prophecies in the Bible that will bring the Lord's, to, that will usher in the Lord. There must be a part of the Lord's body that is built up. There must be the reality of the body of Christ on the earth somewhere. There must be the adorned and prepared bride that the Lord can come back to as the bridegroom. There must be a place where there is the reality the substance of the kingdom of the heavens before the manifestation of that kingdom appears in his coming. There must be an overcoming army that would ride and fight with the word of God with Christ to defeat his enemy. So you see, brothers and sisters, this is why we're here. This is why we're in the church life, in the Lord's recovery. This is the view. So this burden of the building of God the building 
of God's house, the building of the body of Christ is a great, great thing. Now, today, when we talk about the building of God's habitation or dwelling place, when we talk about the building up of the body, the word used is building. Neither of these things, which actually is the same one thing, are something physical, material, outward. This divine build, this building of God is divine. It's mystical. It's organic. It's the triune God mingle with the tripartite man to become an entity, a constitution. A building, a spiritual building that is living. So you cannot see this building just with your physical eyes. You have to have spiritual eyes to see it. But I tell you, even if human beings cannot see it, surely Satan and the evil powers and the principalities and powers, they see it because they are in that realm, the spiritual realm. So we're here today in the church life, you there in New, New Zealand, I'm here in America, and those dear saints in Myanmar, and there's some other saints from various different countries. We're in different places. Our backgrounds are different. We're of different races, cultures. But we're here, one, in Christ, with a common vision and a common commission. And that is what I just explained or described. To build up this organism by being constituted with this process and consummated triune God. As life and everything to us. This constitution or this building, this entity, one thing more, is not individualistic. It's not just one person. It must be many people. In fact, all the people. You look at a physical building. It is the fitting together of many materials, many kinds of materials to make that building. 
It's not a pile of materials on the construction site. It is materials fitly framed together. And if you would go to Ephesians chapter 2, you have at the end of that chapter these three verses. And it is all about the building, the building that we're talking about here. Let me read those verses to you. Verse 20 to 22, being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom all the building, every building, every part of that building, all the building, the totality of this building being fitted together. You know, you have to study the Greek to find out the meaning of these things. I did a little study. Fitted together, framed together. In a most appropriate way, according to a plan, a pre-design. And, of course, we know God is the designer, the architect, the planner. And the whole building is built up on the foundation of uh, the prophets and apostles, meaning the revelation that they have received from God. And Christ is the cornerstone. Actually, Christ is not just a cornerstone. Christ is the foundation. And Christ one day will be the top stone of this building. In, in fact, Christ Jesus is every part of this building. All the building fitted together is growing, growing. Notice growing. That means this is a organic building. A building doesn't grow. But this is an organic thing. This is an organism. Therefore, it grows like a body, into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom? The Lord. In the Lord. You also, meaning we, who are dispersed in different parts of the earth, in different localities and places and countries, you also are being built together. Built together again. It's a a strong word. Excuse me. Of being built together. Into a dwelling place, a habitation of God in spirit. Do you see? This building does not occur physically, I said. It occurs in spirit. It's organic, living, divine, and mystical. It is in spirit. It takes place in spirit because today the dweller, who is God, who now today is the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the all-inclusive spirit. He is the dweller, and he dwells in our spirit, doesn't he? The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. 
We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so today, this building takes place in a certain realm, in a certain place. And that place is our spirit. What does this mean? This means, dear ones, if we are to partake of this building, if we are to be built up as part of this building, we have to be in spirit. We have to be there. It's not taking place in our mind, in our thoughts. Certainly it's not just taking, not taking place in our physically. Although today we're still limited by time and space. That's why we have local churches. We meet together. That part is visible. But the real building, the actual building that will last until the new Jerusalem is in spirit. Unseen, but real. Invisible, but substantial. This is hardly theoretical. It is actually practical. Experienceable. Today, brothers and sisters, in the local churches, this is what we're doing. Just like old Noah spending 300 years doing one thing, that is to build up that ark for his salvation and his households. Today, in the local churches, we're doing the same thing in principle. To build Christ as an ark for a testimony of all those people in those times, only eight souls were saved. A small number. Small number. Today, we're in this building work. When I think about this, brothers and sisters, I'm encouraged that there are saints. I mean, I look at over here at the saints in Myanmar. They're all full-time trainees or something, young people. I'm so, so gratified to see the Lord calling, saving, and raising up young people, a young generation everywhere. I hope tonight's word, even this little word I just gave, will stay with you. This is the meaning of your life. This is the purpose of your existence, nothing else. I saw this, not fully, but initially, when I was 17 or 18 years old, and the Lord captured me and possessed me and ruined me for anything else but this. Now it is many years later, many decades later, 
I like to tell you young people, every day, I, as I was, am before the Lord, I give him thanks. That he gained me when I was at such a young age, that he kept me through all these decades, through all thick and thin, to still be today on this narrow way, part of his remnant, still engaged in this one glorious work of the building of God. I hope you would do the same. You would give your life and everything, your future, everything to the Lord for this. Because one day, everything will burn. Everything will be destroyed. Only this will remain. Only this reality, this mystical divine reality will remain. This mingling of God with man. And all this is for the full and complete and universal, glorious and radiant expression of this triune God in all of his unsearchable riches. Tonight, I... Uh, of course, I have an outline to cover, <laughs> but I'm more concerned with my burden than this outline. <laughs> I hope you don't mind that. Brother Lee, Witness Lee, back in around 1960 or so, thereabouts, saw this matter of God's building, maybe 59, I don't remember. And he started to give messages on God's building. Today, you can find these messages in Chinese and even in English now in the collected works. He saw that the New Jerusalem is not some physical city. The New Jerusalem is not heaven that we, that the Christianity tells us that we will Go to when we die? No, no. New Jerusalem, and that would be the last message tomorrow of this conference that I will cover, I'll say more, is a sign in the book of Revelation signifying a reality. And that is this divine human entity or organism in its consummate form. He also saw in chapter 14 of the book of John, Gospel of John, that Father's house is not some grand gold-leafed covered mansion in the sky that the Lord is spending 2,000 years to build, so it must be ultra-luxurious. No, that father's house is simply his own body, this divine building. 
God building himself into man and man into God, that God and man would be a mutual dwelling place for each other, what we call incorporation today. He had the boldness after having seen that to strongly teach that New Jerusalem is not such a thing, such a place. In one fell swoop, he took away heaven from the Christians. Isn't that bad? Isn't that terrible? You have nowhere to go after you die. How about that? And it is not a physical place with pearly gates and golden streets. Some, you know, in this country even talk about they're going to play golf up there. And this, some of these sports car driver, they are doing their spins in the New Jerusalem along the river or the street. What is this? This is nothing but modern-day superstition that is passed on by fallen Christianity who have long left the truth and just making things up in the principle of fables and fairy tales. Superstition. And at that time, he began to speak the building of God, the vision of God's building. Some of you have that book. And he spoke even, began to speak about the new Jerusalem. Oh, my. I would challenge some of you young people to study the new Jerusalem with the help of the ministry. Well, At that time, he wrote a lot of hymns. And today, we have maybe up to 10 hymns on the New Jerusalem, and as well as on the building. So before this meeting, I look at our English hymnal, and I find that there are all together, let me see here, uh, 13 hymns under the section of what? Of the church, the church, her building, 13 hymns on the building. I like the young people especially to go back and not only sing these hymns, but study these hymns. Pray with the, over these hymns. In a relatively short time, Brother Lee wrote these hymns, mostly all in Chinese and later on translated into English. Sorry to say some of these hymns we sing, and some we don't sing that much. But go there. Go there. This matter of the building is a great matter. Now, let me get into these, this message now. And if I, there's a little time left, I want to... Use that to underline a something practical, something for us to practice in our localities to advance this building project, 
if I may use that word. This great project of God, the builder. A house, a habitation for himself, and a body for his son. Now, let's look at this. I come to prerequisite five. So there are four prerequisites that Brother James covered, and you do well to remember them. I like to tell you where this material came from. It came from a book called The Secret of God's Organic Salvation, given in 1996, where Brother Lee was burdened, of course, about the organic salvation. I would like to tell you, this is a burden that our brother had until he died. That was the, that was the main burden he had at that time. Because it is through this process of organic salvation that a chosen and redeemed of God can become God in life and nature and can be built up into this divine building for God. And so in this book, in chapter four, the title is The Secret of Building. Early cover all the sections of the organic salvation, and he included this section called building as part of God's salvation. It makes sense. I alluded to Noah. He built the ark. Eventually, what he built saved him, rescued him from that age, delivered him from God's judgment, and brought him and ushered him into a brand new age. It's something that he built that he entered into. Today, we are doing the same thing. We're building our ark today in our church life, in the recovery, that one day we will enter into, actually as we are building, we're entering into, and we will be saved. And this ark will bring us, usher us into the next age. So these prerequisites, these conditions that we must fulfill in order for us to carry on with the building work came out of the outline for that message. And it was expanded by some of the brothers to make it into these two outlines. They are precious. These prerequisites, we must remember them. These prerequisites are somewhat like principles or laws. Again, I say this is not the Old Testament law of God, the Mosaic law. No, this is part of the law of life in the New Testament. The principles that if we keep and adhere to and follow and fulfill, you can even use the word conditions that we fulfill, we can carry on this building work. But if you are careless about these prerequisites, or you violate them, intentionally or not, 
you'll find the building work being frustrated in our experience. So it is up to every saint. All of us are responsible to take care of these prerequisites in our daily church life so that the building work can continue. Number five, the fifth prerequisite. Well, I like to read the first four. Number one, we must realize that the Lord Jesus, the Lord loves and wants to have a build-up church, not scatter individuals. So you keep this principle. You will not be scattered. You will not be individualistic. You will not be independent. You would rather seek to be with the saints, to be built up with them. Number two, we must acknowledge that all the believers have been baptized in one spirit into one body and that God has placed the members in the body and blended all the body together. Let's acknowledge that and say amen to this. I'm now baptized into one body with so many members, brothers and sisters. And God himself has placed these members in the body, including me. So who am I to complain? Who am I to have a preference? Who am I to murmur about? You know, people, they just go to this church and they don't like it. They go to another church and they don't like it. These are what we call rolling stones. We are not rolling stones. We are living stones placed by God in a certain part of the body. And we would be content. We would be satisfied. And God has even blended all the body together. Blended is actually in Greek the word mixed. Mixed together to form a kind of compound. A richer, higher, better compound. We are being mixed, blended together. Brothers, if you're not ready to be blended with others, you want to remain secluded, private, independent, isolated, then you are not fulfilling this prerequisite. Number three, we must be in harmony with the fellow believers and be in one accord with the body in prayer, which issues in the establishment of the church. So we need to fulfill the requisite of being in harmony with others. Symphonic harmony, Matthew 18. So we can pray in one accord. Don't, you know, I do have a prayer all the time. Lord, keep me from being a problem in your recovery. Keep me from being a factor of disturbance in your recovery. Don't let that happen, Lord. It happened to others. Please do not let that happen to me. I would like to learn to take the cross just to be in harmony. You know, harmony is more than oneness. You can be one, but you're not harmonized. This is something even deeper. Lord, keep me always in a condition of harmony with the brothers and sisters, wherever I am. Number four, we must practice the oneness of the divine trinity in the divine trinity 
as the d- divine trinity does. Well, this is John 17. Of course, it's a very rich subject. But let us remain in God, who is oneness itself. The real oneness in this universe is God. Let's remain in him. That prayer of the Lord, the final prayer, is for the oneness of his believers, that they all may be one. I have given them my name. I've given them my word. I've even given them my glory. Let us remain in the Lord's name, his person, his life. Let us remain in the word and be sanctified of the things in the world. The world just divides us. Only God will bring us together and unite us. And let us remain in his glory, not having our own expression, but only his. And in this, we will be one. Now, number five, we must keep the oneness of the spirit diligently. This is Ephesians 4.3. I don't have that much time. You see, I'm already short of time now. Um, But do remember these things and keep these laws. Keep these conditions. Then the building work can go on. Endeavor to keep the oneness of the spirit. It's It's an exercise to keep this oneness of the spirit with the saints. We keep the oneness of the spirit in the constitution of the body with the divine trinity as the source, the element, and the essence. We we cover these things. The oneness of the spirit is the spirit himself. To keep the oneness of the spirit is to stay in the life-giving spirit. I like this. This is already immensely practical. How do you keep the oneness of the spirit? By keeping yourself in the spirit. Mingle with the spirit. There's only one spirit. So when we're all in that one spirit, we're one. Don't spend so much time in your mind, in your thoughts in your ideology, in your culture, in your concepts. All these things will just divide us. It causes us to be diversely minded. The spirit is what will make us one. The father is embodied in the son. The son is realized as the spirit, and the spirit is mingled with the believers. This mingling is the constitution of the body of Christ. B, we keep the oneness of the Spirit through the perfecting by the gifting, gifted members for the building up of the body of Christ. In John 17, the Lord Jesus prayed to the Father that we would be perfected into one in the triune God. We do have a level of oneness, brothers. It is not fair to say we have no oneness. But this oneness is still in the process of being perfected. Let us give the Lord the way to perfect us into one. We need to be more one as the triune God is one. In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul tells us that the head gave the gifts 
to perfect the saints until we all arrive at the oneness. So we need to be perfected. We need to grow in life so that we can arrive. Arrive meaning we're in on the way. This is a process at the oneness of the faith and of the full knowledge of the Son of God. We are on the way. We're on this way of oneness. We keep the oneness of the Spirit by the growth in the divine life, growing up into the head in all things. If we don't stop growing in life, we also stop the perfecting of this oneness. Four, the four, I mean the six prerequisite. We must be in the common fellowship of the enjoyment of Christ as the believer's common portion for the keeping of the oneness of the body to witness that Christ is neither divisible nor divided. First Corinthians, those Corinthians. I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Apollos. Paul said, don't say that. And some even more spiritual, I'm of Christ. They use persons, gifted persons, rather than just being perfected by them to be one. They uplift these persons and they separate themselves and they denominate themselves according to these names. I'm of Luther, so I'm the Lutheran church. I'm of Wesley, I'm the Wesleyan church. These are all wrong. Christ is not divisible nor divided. And so his body is the same, indivisible. A, Christ as the all-inclusive one belongs to all the believers as the allotted portion for the enjoyment. All the believers should be focused on the unique and undivided Christ as the unique center appointed to God. B, we should concentrate and focus on him, not on any persons, things, or matters other than him, that all problems among the believers may be solved. The problem with Corinth, starting with the first failure problem of division, is because they left this focus. If they would all just be focused on nothing but this unique Christ as their common portion, as our unique center, we won't be divided. Today is Christ plus this or that, that divide God's children. If we just have Christ, period, there would be no division. So in the church life, we have to learn that. We have to keep this prerequisite just to stay with Christ, just to focus on Christ and not be carried away by other things. Even biblical things, even scriptural things can what? Distract us from Christ. The seventh prerequisite, we must have the common fellowship in the spirit and have the common thinking and common love in one spirit with one soul and on one common standing (coughs) for the testimony of the oneness of the body of Christ. There's only one fellowship in this universe and there's only one fellowship in the body. That fellowship is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That fellowship is a fellowship 
of the triune God. That, that fellowship is the fellowship with the Father and the Son with the Spirit. It's a common fellowship. The word fellowship means common participation, mutual sharing of something in common. This fellowship is our common portion. We don't have two fellowships or three or four. We have only one fellowship. Many churches, one fellowship. Many believers, one fellowship. Dissension among us is due to our not being joined in soul, to our not thinking the one thing in our mind, the leading part of our soul. B, the one thing refers to the subjective knowledge and experience of Christ. Focusing on anything else causes us to think differently, thus creating dissensions among us. Paul's word, especially in Philippians, over and over again is think the same thing. Think the one thing. Brothers and sisters, our mind is critically important in this. Not only we have to stand in one spirit, we have to strive together in one soul. That means with the leading part of our soul, our mind, taking the lead to think about nothing else. If I think the same thing as you are, we're one. What is this one thing? the subjective knowledge and experience and enjoyment of Christ. Let us just think that and nothing else. Eight, we must live and walk by the Spirit and walk according to the mingled Spirit, setting our mind on the mingled Spirit and being indwelled by the pneumatic Christ as the Spirit who imparts life within us for us to put to death the practices of the body. Again, very simple. A, a great matter, but it's very simple. Every day, if we mean business, to be in the divine building work of God, we just need to live a life by the Spirit and in the Spirit and set our mind on the Spirit. Brothers, let's practice this, shall we? Let's practice this in the day to be led by the Spirit, to follow the Spirit. When our mind is set on the Spirit, our outward actions are in agreement with our inner man, then there's no discrepancy between us and God. The result is that we feel living and peaceful within. When we set our mind on the Spirit, then what we live out, what we do, our conduct, will be our inner man will say, Amen, that's it. You're walking according to me. You're setting the mind on me. So whatever you do is according to me. This is perfect. This is all together in harmony. No discrepancy. So the result, life and peace. I know saints, all the time they're living in turmoil. Turmoil. Unrest. And that's not because of some environment. It's inside, there's no peace. But I'll tell you the secret to peace, real inner peace, which the whole world is hunger for and cannot find. You know, there's no world peace if there's no personal peace. It's that simple. But here's a secret to inner peace. And that is that the God of peace 
would rule within us, that we would listen to the Spirit, that we would be led by the Spirit. When our mind is set on the flesh and the things of the flesh, the result is death, which causes us to feel uneasy, deadened, and separated from the enjoyment of God. The sense of death should serve as a warning to us, urging us to be delivered from the flesh and to live in the Spirit. You know, if we set our mind on the flesh, the word says it's death. Death is a sensation. Death is not just a condition. It is. But it's also a feeling, a sensation. You just feel something is dead. Something is dark. Something is wrong. Something is all knotted up. That actually is a good good thing in that we have that feeling of death telling us we better leave this place. We better get out of this. Call on the Lord. Pray. Turn away from these things that you are getting involved in. All it gives you is just death. Why don't you turn to the Spirit and have life and receive life? So it's a warning. It's a good warning in that sense. Nine, we must be conformed to the death of Christ to have the self-natural man, flesh, distorted disposition, peculiarities, personal preferences and tastes, etc., all crucified with Christ by the power of the resurrection of Christ. So simply put, we need to take the cross and follow Jesus. We need to die to ourself, deny ourself. We need to be conformed to his death. And all these things, I especially like this word, distorted disposition. You know, as we grow in the Lord, as we um, age in the Lord's recovery, we will find, I myself am finding, that I'm really a distorted person. Actually, I'm pretty peculiar. And the older I get, the more I become strange. Even I, even I realize it now. It's so bad, you know. Man, you are so strange. You are peculiar. And, and you say, well, I don't bother people. But actually, it bothers a lot of people. <laughs> It bothers my wife. <laughs> Dear brothers and sisters, even these things that may not be sinful, you know, worldly, but they are from our natural birth, our disposition, our peculiarity, our preferences and tastes. These things very much hinder our relationship. Hinder the building of God. Hinder our blending together. I speak now not to young saints, but to the middle-aged and older saints. You know, if we need to die, one thing we need to die to is our disposition. The other thing we need to die to is our opinion. My goodness, we all have so strong opinions that we would not give it up no matter what. We stick to our guns. 
of our opinion. You see, how can the building work go on? No. Then the building work is stuck. It's just stuck. You cannot be built up with that person because of your opinions, because of your disposition. So we need transformation, brothers and sisters. We need the Lord's mercy. There's a big book called Perfecting Training, and you will see a lot of these things elaborated there. It's a serious matter. To be conformed to Christ's death is to take Christ's death as the mode of one's life. The mode of Christ's death refers to Christ's experience of continually putting to death his human life that he might live by the life of God. Even Jesus Christ has to deny himself so that what? He can be one with the Father, to be harmonious with the Father and his will. Our life should be conformed to such a mode by our dying to our human life to live the divine life. I find these days in my the stage of life, spiritual life I am in, this right here is the biggest lesson. How to be conformed to the mode of Christ's death by dying to my human life to live by another life, his life, the divine life. Easier said than done. So many things I do are still not this way. It's me. I didn't die. I live. I'm very active and alive. I'm living by myself and for myself. I don't live by Christ. I say it. You know, I can also quote Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. Well, that's just a slogan. In actuality, I'm very alive. This is, we need to go on, brothers and sisters. Number 10, the 10th prerequisite. We must magnify Christ through living him by the bountiful supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. To live Christ. Don't, don't think this is so deep, so impossible. We can live Christ. If Paul can, we can. We live Christ for his magnification by the supply of the body, the bountiful supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ, typified by the compound ointment, the holy anointing oil. The compound spirit is in and for the body and for the priestly service that builds up the body. So simply put again, every day we should depend on the supply, the bountiful supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. You have to enjoy that spirit. Receive from that spirit of grace to live Christ. Paul was in the prison. He was in a dungeon. He was locked up in the stocks with a Roman guard there. I don't know, in the city of Rome. And it was not a long time before he was a martyr. He was in a very, very bad situation. But in that situation, he magnified Christ. He cannot do it by himself. It was by the bountiful supply of the Spirit that enabled him to magnify Christ. And, of course, the prayers of the saints. 
that turn out to his salvation. So depend on the spirit and learn to depend on the body, the saints. Nine, we must minister Christ, dispensing him to all whom we contact. Even to minister Christ to others sets the condition for the building work. We must live a life of contacting Christ to be infused with Christ and contacting people to infuse them with Christ. We must be good stewards of the varied grace of God, ministering Christ as the rich supply of life into others for their growth in life and enjoyment of Christ. So let us in our church life do this. Min as Redeem the opportunities to minister something of Christ to others. To the brother to your left, to the brother to your right, to the sister in the top bunk, am I right? Or the bottom bunk. Every situation ministers something of Christ, something of the grace of God. Actually, this kind of ministry is the building work. Number, uh, what, 12? We must discern the spirit, which is of power, love, and sober-mindedness from the soul. So the last point is the spirit. And it's a good way to end these prerequisites by this point, this prerequisite. We must fan our God-given spirit into flame, exercising our spirit so that all the parts of our soul, our mind, emotion, and will come under the control of our spirit. We should always be on the alert to discern anything that is not of the spirit, but of the soul. All family, social, and national, national problems are due to the fact that people use their mind, emotion, and will, but not their spirit. The divine oneness of the spirit is in our regenerated spirit. Those who make divisions are soulish. They are devoid of the spirit, not caring for the spirit or using it, behaving as if they do not have a spirit. In our spirit, there is no dissenting division or confusion. Our spirit is today's Jerusalem, the place of oneness. What a good way to end. So, the last point is actually a most essential point to uh, a prerequisite, I should say. It is that we should what? We should exercise our spirit. The key to the whole organic salvation of God is the two spirits. The key to all these prerequisites, likewise, are this, these two spirits. This is the secret to building. I hope that, brothers and sisters, these days we would use our spirit more. And I like to just say this one more thing, and I will stop. Practical. I especially these days want to promote, stir up, and encourage all of us to pray together more. And by that, I don't mean just the prayer meeting. Yes, we should go to the prayer meeting. No doubt about that. But I am talking about praying in small groups. Number one, with your companions. 
one or two companions in twos and threes, what I call twos and threes, to come together to pray, to exercise the spirit together. I tell you, this prayer is the secret. The spirit is the key, but prayer is the secret. And praying together with others is even a greater secret. I like to see today in all the churches, you go to this church, you will find twos and threes here on Zoom, over here, this and that. They are just praying. They are just praying. My, praying themselves into the spirit, stirring up their spirit. I tell you, nothing brings us into one accord like prayer. And they continue steadfastly in one accord and in prayer. In prayer. Dear ones, I think this is a very practical thing. How about if you don't have, have, have not done it, find your companion, your prayer companion to pray. And in your small groups, your home meetings, may they firstly be groups of saints praying together. I don't mean we don't do anything. I don't mean we have no activities. But let all the doings and activities come out of much and thorough prayer. And by this prayer, this kind of prayer, I tell you, we become blended together. And through this kind of prayer, we are being what? Being built up. Jude said this. Uh, what? What does it say in Jude? Uh, <clears throat> um, praying, what? Praying in the Holy Spirit. You remember that verse? Uh, beloved, listen, verse 20. But you, beloved, building up yourselves upon your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. I stop here, brothers and sisters, a little long. Forgive me again. Amen.